Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to Felons on Film. I'm Andrew Young, and this week we've got another great show for you. Not necessarily a great movie. This week we're looking at Kill Your Darlings, a film that involves Allen Ginsberg and Jack Kerouac and William Burroughs. That's a lot. And it was a lot for me to watch it. I actually felt like killing somebody after this. Not necessarily my darlings, though. But if you like the show, please tell your friends. You can follow us on social media at Felons on Film. And of course, you know, wherever you listen to us, whether it be the iTunes, the Apple Podcasts, the Google Podcasts, all those places, please leave a five-star rating and review because it helps people find out about us. And that's why we want to get the word out. In fact, why don't you just go and tell two random people? Better yet, tell people you know. You want to be safe. Now let's get into Kill Your Darlings on Felons on Film. It's time once again to see if the crime was worth our time. This is Felons on Film. I'm Andrew Young. I'm Sparkles. Also known as Al Smith McRob. I had this whole plan that I was going to like introduce myself before you and steal your name. And then I got really distracted by the fact that I was able to be quiet for 15 seconds. And I forgot to do it. And wonders never cease. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, sometimes I wish I could just be like, it's okay. It's because I'm not sober. I'm inebriated and that's why I'm this way. But no, I'm just this way. I was about to say, you're not inebriated right now. You're just you. This is just how I choose to exist in the world. Which is perfectly fine by me. You're my friend. And I'm here to talk with you tonight once again about somebody doing something terrible in real life and then them making a movie about it. And, not and the same people. Like, not the same people, but also gay sex. Yeah, this week is actually one of your picks. It's uh, yeah. from 2013. The film is Kill Your Darlings, starring Daniel Radcliffe and Dane DeHaan. Michael C. Hall is also in it. Mm-hmm. And so is Ben Foster. Are we going to go down through the entire cast list? No, I was just going through the really attractive people that I could remember the names of. <laughs> it was directed by uh, John Krakaitis. Written by Austin Bunn. It takes place in the early 1940s. Allen Ginsberg is an English major at Columbia University, only to learn more than he bargained for. Dissatisfied by the orthodox attitudes of the school, Allen finds himself drawn to iconoclastic colleagues like Lucian Chikar, William S. Burroughs, and Jack Kerouac. Together, very attractive in this film. Together, this gang would explore bold new literary ideas that would challenge the sensibilities of their time as the future beat generation. However, for all their creativity, their very appetites and choices lead to more serious transgressions, serious transgressions that would mark their lives forever. That was the worst synopsis ever. I didn't write it. I know you didn't. It was bad. They should fire whoever wrote that. All it needs to be is Daniel Radcliffe, gay sex, murder. Done. No, you know what? Now you saying that, this is a great synopsis. It's <laughs> your synopsis. If I asked you and you said that, I'd be like, okay, and that was the show, everybody. No, it, it covers all the important parts. Oh, drugs. Lots of drugs. 
weird drugs. Well, the tagline for this movie was a true story of obsession and murder. See, the tagline's great. It also matches the giant based on a true story friggin' sign that they slap you with at the beginning of this film. <laughs> they slap you with it, eh? Oh my, it's so big. It's uh, Most of these movies, it's like, based on a true story, just like, don't want to interrupt, just want to let you know. Keep it in mind. But like, this one is just like, true story! Right there. It's the only thing on screen. Okay, well, let's get into the actual, like, real-life crime that this yes. film depicts. Yes. Okay. So, I don't want to start with this. So May after- I just jump in and say that the crime in this film is actually done by the least famous person of the people we mentioned. It's true. It, I don't remember. It's Lucian Carr. Lucian Carr, yeah. Lucian Carr. I don't remember what actor plays him. He's the guy. Dane DeHaan. Yeah, but he's in um, A Cure for Wellness. Yeah, Dane DeHaan. Okay, it's that Cure for Wellness guy. Yeah. Listen, also, I- also Chronicle. Okay, no one watched Chronicle. I watched Chronicle. You watch everything. You don't count. Wow. Okay. No, I didn't. I'll be over here while you talk about your Lucian car. Oh Go ahead. God, I didn't mean it like that. I just meant that you watch a lot of films. Oh, it was like a kind of compliment. Not really. It was not meant to be a, a, not a compliment. What's that word called? Um, so Lucian Carr is, it's never actually talked about in the film. I think he's third year. Mm. Allen Ginsberg is freshman, first year into Columbia. And he gets dragged into Lucian's really like toxic personality and gets brought into this group of friends that has Jack Kerouac and William Burroughs. You find out in the film that Lucian Carr has a stalker ex-boyfriend who is a professor at a university, but pretending to be a janitor so that he can be with his little Lulu, as it is delightfully called. He also writes Lucian Carr's papers for him. Lucian Carr, under a lot of alcohol, decides that they need to have a revolution in the literary world and... Ginsburg gets swept up in it, does really a lot of drugs, really a lot of them, and Lucian Carr ends up stabbing his stalker ex-boyfriend and weighing him down with rocks, a la Virginia Woolf, dropping him in the Hudson. He then gets arrested, obviously, and he pleads that his stalker ex-boyfriend was a homosexual, and as a heterosexual, it was at the time legal to murder a homosexual who came on to you. So that is his defense. And yeah, it was actually called honor killing. Yes. That delightful title. Oh yeah. It only has good meanings. <laughs> and Ginsburg decides not to help him in the end. Right. And that yes. is, that, that is, that is the movie. That is the crime. Technically those events happened in that order. They're not incorrect. They're not inaccurate. I think the movie lacks a lot of context. I understand why they took certain things out because they want you to not like Lucian Carr and like Daniel Radcliffe. Right. Unfortunately, everybody in this film was actually a piece of shit as a human. So it's not that it's inaccurate. It's just missing a lot of plot points. Right. Yeah. It seems like they gave very much the Cliff Notes version because it seems like Ginsburg meets Carr 
And then the next thing you know, they're starting up the new vision, which also I got to say, terrible name for a movement because it just made me think of like glasses, like new vision optical. (laughs) Well, I mean, they're all, Ginsburg went on to call himself a guru. No, I know. Like pretentious. Oh, yeah. They're all pretentious. Yeah. William S. Burroughs committed crimes and then wrote a book about it. You know, like that's his big claim to art is that, oh, I just wrote down stuff I did. He was also a pedophile. He also murdered his wife. Yeah. Yeah. And then Jack Kerouac, like the warrior poet, as referred to. I don't know. It feels like we talk about toxic masculinity. I feel like Kerouac, when you look at his work, it was all very much bravado. He also beat his wife a lot. There you uh, go. Drank too much, which they kind of showed in the So they took the beat generation too far is what you're saying. Yeah, obviously. Like, how could they not? They're them. Have you ever read anything they've written? No, I'm just saying is because they beat and then they Uh, beat their um... wives. That's... That was the joke. It was funny. I don't, I don't believe you found it that funny. All right, anyway. <laughs> no, I'm just not clever enough to pick it up right away. Yes, Kerouac was a piece of shit. He also, it's, it's theorized that part of Kerouac's issues was that he was suppressing at least some level of gay or queer. Like, he may have been bi or... Yeah, I feel like this gr- group of guys their sexuality was almost fluid that it's like yeah because like as you know like lucian carr later in life had two wives had three children so but they fudge it well he's not gay in real life really lucian carr not gay in real life okay there might be somewhere out there that i've read that i haven't read that says he's gay and this is one of the things that they fudge so michael c hall his creepy stalker professor man yes david actually was his boy scout leader in real life okay so molestation yeah and they really did try to get away from him real hard and he just kept following them and i think it was burroughs who actually said that he didn't think that they had an intimate relationship at all like they never had sex so i don't know i don't actually know how fluid his sexuality is okay fair enough fair enough I feel like that's kind of both very important details that they probably should have put in the film, but I understand why they did not. It kind of muddies the story a little bit. Right. They wanted to, they wanted to paint a certain picture to show the affections of both Ginsburg and David towards Lucian. Yeah. And show some kind of reciprocation to make the story flow better. Yeah. Like I'm positive that Lucian Carr was probably also a piece of shit. Like, Sorry about it. He hung out with these people who were like, it's not like one person in this awful group of people is a shining example of a human, you know, like right. follow like in that situation. But that was not, he was, yeah, there was a lot of stuff happening and he didn't have a good relationship with that guy. Michael C. Hall was a bad guy. So let's get into talking about the movie itself. Now, as I said, this was your pick. You'd seen the movie before. Aside from, I know, yes, the gay sex. You love the gay sex, but oh, the, gay sex was the film itself, are you a big fan of this film? Yeah, I actually really enjoyed this film. I will admit that I enjoyed it a little bit less after learning more about the story. But one of the things I really love about this film is A Cure for Wellness Guy. Ding Dahan. He does a really, really great job of making me specifically fall for him. Like I'm watching the movie 
I'm like, wow, you're a piece of trash. And yet I don't care. I'm still drawn in by him. I'm still invested in him. At the end of the movie, every time I watch it, I end up leaving going, yep, that makes sense. I totally understand how he was able to manipulate people who are so much older than him and then people who are so much younger than him. Yeah, there's definitely, a, he shows off a, a charisma throughout this film and it's done subtly which is Mm -hmm. it's a natural charisma as opposed to like grandstanding yeah i think my favorite scene is when ginsburg goes in for it and kisses lucian and then lucian blackmails him in one sentence oh yeah now alan has to go home and work he has yeah he had he has my paper to write yeah it's like oh damn it's so good now like that was the thing when i'm watching it i'm like does he need people to do this because he's illiterate? Like, but then it's at the end, I read that he's an editor and I'm like, okay, so he's not illiterate. He's just an asshole. Okay. Yeah. Just yeah like, he's, just, he's just a piece of shit who goes, I would rather party than do my homework. Well, dude couldn't even write his own deposition. Yeah. And I kind of wonder if he did that because A, he knew Ginsburg was a better writer than him. Mm. Because as an editor, you have to write, but you're not, you're not necessarily the writer, you know? So I wonder if he just knew that Ginsburg was a better writer than he was, but also that Ginsburg's infatuation and obsession would be far more favorable than if Lucian wrote it himself. Right. But of course, Ginsburg doesn't do that. He instead writes, writes a story about, right. <laughs> about yeah. Lucian. And he gets mm. kicked out of school. Yes, he does. So Daniel Radcliffe, he was the guy that they first picked to do this film. But then because of Harry Potter obligations, he said he couldn't do it. So then they got an entirely different cast. Did they really? But all, yeah, but all of them had to back out because the funding got lost for the film. Oh. So then the film got shelved. And by the time they were able to get it back on track, Daniel Radcliffe was available again. So it was this Beautiful. big, like, crazy roundabout. But yeah, I believe uh, Dane DeHaan's character in the recast, because they hadn't cast Dane DeHaan's character yet, in the recast... Chris Evans was going to play that role. Gross. That would have been <laughs> weird, but not as good. Another thing, Dane DeHaan, you know the, uh, the scene where Lucian is uh, trying to kill himself in the jail cell? Yes. So Dane DeHaan revealed in a Q&A that he was actually strangling himself during that scene. I hate that scene. I hated it. I cannot stand watching people just, like, nothing. None of it, thank you. When like their face turns purple and it gets puffy and they're making those awful sounds. There's some odd choices for me in this film. One of which was some of the musical choices during the back half of the movie. Going with modern music. Yeah, like halfway through. Yeah, like it's, it's, it's period music up until like the last act of the film. And I was just sort of like, this, this is kind of jarring. Like it was fine that the credit music was modern music, but it was weird that when they're going through the the montage scene of showing what's happening on the night that Lucian kills David, that's modern music and it just doesn't fit. Yeah, it was really weird. They should have gone with, they they should have gone with more of an instrumental piece, like a classical instrumental piece there. But yeah, they did that. So that for me kind of stood out and was like, uh, that really doesn't work with it. Now this is just a small nitpick, but uh, Lucian's dorm room, no fucking way it was that big. (laughs) Why? He's super wealthy. Yeah, but that was like, that was like, compared to all the other rooms on the floor, that was like a freaking, that's not how they build dorm rooms. 
I always kind of assumed that he just got special treatment. Okay, fair enough. But I just, to me, it just didn't look right. It looked like, okay, the other, like, he comes out of a dorm room. Hey, that looks like a dorm room. Suddenly he walks in there. He's like, no, that looks like a study in some mansion. Oh, yeah. I really liked that, actually, because it really conveyed to me anyway that Lucian Carr was special and he manipulated everybody. It wasn't just... Ginsburg. It wasn't just Michael C. Hall. He really knew how to play people to get mm. better. He really stood out. He didn't have to live by everybody else's rules. Right, right. Okay, well, no, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a good interpretation of it. Now, I'm not going to lie. I feel like the middle of this film drags. Oh, like, really? it really drags. The idea is that it's supposed to be exciting when they want to go on this whole, like, Ooh, we're the new vision. We're going to do stuff. But it's like, they just cut up some books and put it on David's wall. Like that's, that was, but that was kind of like, yeah, okay. Then the big planned, you know, act of anarchy in the library. They really shot that scene super boring too. I didn't mind it. For me, it kind of like started dragging as soon as Kerouac was introduced as a character. They introduced Kerouac, but they don't want to give full attention to Kerouac, but they still want him to have some kind of gravitas. So they also introduce Edie, mm-hmm. who's a, who's played by uh, Elizabeth Olsen. Like, I got to say, the actors that they cast in this film, at the time, they weren't all all-stars yet, but they were the future all-stars. These were, like, good actors. Yeah. And it's, like, kind of wasted. You know what I mean? And I felt like I they introduced Edie. Edie was- yeah, I feel like they introduced Edie just to try to give some context to Kerouac's life, but it wasn't important to the plot whatsoever. It's like the same thing when he gets the record, but the the the, the guy at war, you know. And it's that like that one I would say has no point to the story whatsoever. I feel like his wife does. Well, non-wife, but his wife, because it sets him up as as very different from the rest of the characters in this film. He's not gay, like at all appearing. He has his own apartment. He has experience in the world. And he has a partner who he's building a life with, however poorly in shambles it is. Whereas the rest of the characters are just sort of at the beginning of the journey. It really feels like Kerouac is living the life that you're supposed to live at the time. Right. And it's also displayed that he was a football jock and everything like that, who had the regular college experience. Yeah. Yeah. As opposed to these other characters that are living on the outskirts of society, sort of, mm-hmm. and the way it's set up. I can see that, and but I just feel that they didn't do a very good job with it. It's like, I, I get what you're saying, that those elements were there to show that. I just felt like they did it in a very ham-fisted, clunky way. Mm. Like, the scenes with Edie just come out of nowhere. I feel like I remember at some point when I watched this movie in the past, watching a scene where he actually does beat Edie, but it wasn't in the version I watched. So maybe I hallucinated it. You might've, cause yeah, I didn't, I didn't see that either. This isn't a bad movie and like all the actors do a really good job. I feel it's a very sloppy film. I feel it's very self-indulgent. Oh, well, yeah. And because of that, it really slows down the pace and, like, when you get to the third act, when you're dealing with this... When the murder actually happens. Yeah, this kind of crime of passion. Like, you're watching it, and you should be feeling like, ooh, this is the tense drama, but they've all acted so over-dramatic about everything before this. 
And it's sort of like, oh, this is kind of par for the course. It is, but for me, it really cut the tension. Because you could tell that it was building and building and building and building and building, and so something had to break. Even in the movie and in real life, there was no other way this relationship could have ended. Oh, of course not. So when it finally happened, I honestly felt relief that it was like, okay, this has reached a conclusion. So it didn't build tension for me. It broke the tension. Just, yeah, for me, it was just, I felt like that should have been more exciting. And I think it's the way they laid out their movie beforehand that made it less exciting. Mm, Needed faster music. (laughs) Faster music, yes. Faster music. And crazy dancing with your arms back and forth like you just did. (laughs) It wasn't for people who are listening. That was just for you, Andrew. Don't share with you, Chris. All right. I didn't know it was a secret. Jeez. Okay. (laughs) I won't ever speak about your dancing ever again. That's probably for the best. <laughs> oh, man. But like, when it comes to the casting, I thought they did a very good job with the actors they chose. Daniel Radcliffe really, I was actually really impressed because usually when he's playing an American, it sounds terrible. <laughs> no, I loved his accent. No, that's I said I usually. I said cute. in this, it works. Mm. And... Also, these choices of mannerisms and facial expressions, he pretty much almost, without hiding his look, without hiding his face and the way he regularly looks, he did mm-hmm. that. I was able to watch it and not go, that's Daniel Radcliffe. That's good. Yeah, so I'm saying the performance I thought was pretty strong. Oh, okay. uh, a, f- a fun little side note, so his dad is played by uh, David Cross in this. Yes. David Cross has played Allen Ginsberg before. Oh, has he really? In the movie I'm Not There, which is the... Uh, before or after this film? I believe it was before. Yeah, because oh. I'm Not There was a while ago. It's like basically a bunch of different people playing Bob Dylan. And he played Allen Ginsberg in one of the stories with Bob Dylan. Oh, that one. Okay. I'm Not There, yeah. Yeah, didn't like... There was, wasn't there a lady? Yeah, it was Cate uh, Blanchett. There we go. And it's actually... He's actually in the the story where Cate Blanchett plays Bob Dylan. So, so I thought that was kind of funny too. That's like, oh, he's played two Ginsburgs now. And Dane DeHaan, as you said, fantastic performance. I feel like Dane DeHaan is like one of those guys that is kind of undervalued by the general public. I love him. He's so spooky. Yeah, well, he's usually very good in everything he does, with the exception of maybe Amazing Spider-Man 2, but that wasn't his fault. But yeah, like it was, to me, it was just sort of kind of funny that it's like, oh, Harry Potter befriends Harry Osborn and Harry Osborn killed uh, Dexter. (laughs) (laughs) It came full circle. Michael C. Hall as David starts out, starts out as a perturbed asshole, ends up being a very disturbing character near the end there. He was so good in this. And he looks like David Harbour to me. Mini David Harbour, yeah. And David Harbour is like a beast. He's like an ape. So. <laughs> that man. Ugh. I, I found myself actually a little bit disappointed that it wasn't David Harbour because I thought it was. When I started the film, I was like, oh, I think David Harbour's in yeah, this. No, he's Very way too exciting. small. And it was not. And I found myself disappointed. I really want to redo now right. the whole film, please. And then I also think that another performance that probably – didn't blow anybody away, but for me, I thought it was really good. Ben Foster as William S. Burroughs. I thought he did oh. a really good job. Yeah. 
He was so weird. So weird, but not over the top. It was a very realistic weird. Yeah. Yeah, he's the one that I really wish that they had. Like, instead of focusing on Kerouac, I wish they had focused on Burroughs more. Because right. I feel like he was more important to the story. And oh, I definitely. Like to, yeah, he was more invo- He was more involved than Kerouac was, yeah. Like, Kerouac was part of the, the murder, kind of, but it was, like, Burroughs was David's friend. Yeah. And he was actually there for their relationship. Mm-hmm. So I feel like he should have been in way more in the movie and really look into him. But instead, he was just this weird guy in the corner that was always high. Yeah. Also, to be fair, guy. though, to be fair... In real life, he was usually the weird guy in the corner that was high. Also, yeah, weird guy in the corner who was high with a young boy. Yeah, yeah. Which I'm glad they didn't focus on that in the film. I'm glad that he didn't focus on it. Obviously, that sort of stuff is very upsetting, but it's so important to the character. And then he actually, like, he and Ginsburg had a relationship. Mm, Okay. So it feels really weird because it feels very final when he leaves at the end of the film. Right. Burroughs leaves. There's there's nothing in the film. Like, there's a bit of a post-credit scene and there's a bit of, like, the pictures during the credits. Yeah. But there's nothing in the film to show that, like, they would have a friendship after this murder. It seems very much like everyone went their separate ways and never spoke again, which, of course, is not true. Yeah, I guess they're, they wanted to have some kind of finalization for this moment. And probably when this happened, it was probably a bit of time before these people talked to each other once again. No, Carol. No? And- and Burroughs immediately went and wrote a book about the murder. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, that makes sense. And and that book was written before they re- had written anything else. Like, they hadn't written their seminal works yet. So it just sat at a publishing office. Nobody gave a shit about it. Is that the one that, nobody. is that what the one that took 61 years to get published? Yeah. And it didn't take 61 years because people were like shutting it up. It's just a bad book. So they were like, it's trash. But then they realized that they could make money. So they Right. Because they're like, oh, well, these two famous guys, this was their first book. Yeah, let's exactly. put it out. It's yeah. like when they put out Lee Harper's original oh, book yeah. and how nobody really liked it. It's like, well, that's why she didn't release this one. She released To Kill a Mockingbird. Yeah, know? she actually, I'm pretty sure it was, she said that she didn't want it released. Writers' first works usually are never their best. Like, it changed weird things in the story. Like, Kerouac changed all of the names. He changed them to be very Americanized names. Like, because William Burroughs sort of sounds Amer- uh, English mm. and Jack. Kerouac was very American. So he changed all the names. And then they also changed the scouts, the Boy Scout pen knife, murder weapon, to a hatchet. Wow. He threw the subtlety out the window there. We're just like, they went from a, a small knife to a big hatchet. I feel like they seriously messed up. Like, it's such a closed circuit. It's such a beautiful metaphor for the relationship. Like, because they met when he was a Boy Scout leader and then he was murdered by a Boy Scout knife. Yeah. And Kerouac was more like, no, let's do a hatchet. I want it bigger. Bigger. Don't Ooh. ask me. Men. Nah. That's all I got for Kerouac. That's all you got for Kerouac. Eh? Yeah. Was, I feel was... like that's all of his reasoning is just men. <laughs> Pretty much. But overall, you're a fan of this film still. Yes? Uh, no? Yes. I very much enjoy this film. And you would recommend it? You want to read the book, really? Yeah, yeah. I want to read because I'm interested to see if they took anything from the book into consideration for this film. Hmm, Because it did change the story. So I know the basic story. So it'd be interesting to read it from another perspective and even if it's poorly written. It might actually be more readable if it's poorly written because my theory is that it's before Jack Kerouac and Burroughs had their signature styles both of which I find mm, 
tiresome? They're kind of annoying. They oh. are. <laughs> there are so much, just as people. Uh, so I'm kind of hoping that maybe this book will just be poorly written in the sense that they're less pretentious. They're less full of themselves. Well, here's the hoping. You always recommend this movie. You always recommend this movie. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to admit, while the acting I thought was really good, the film kind of dragged for me. Like, I actually, I fell asleep watching it the first time. You take that back. I cannot take that back. And I will not take that back. Did you fall asleep before or after the gay sex? There was gay sex multiple times in the film, was there not? There was only one beautiful scene. David Radcliffe and some stranger he met at a bar who kind of looked like Lucy. Oh, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, yeah, that, that right there. Yeah. Yeah, I fell asleep before that. That's very good. Because that's... Fall after Kerouac was introduced? Yeah. Yeah, because that's when the movie gets bad. There's like a, a 15, 20-ish <laughs> minute period where Kerouac is like the one they're focusing on where this movie's trash. Okay, so here you go right there, though. In my mind, a good film doesn't have a 15, 20-minute spot in the middle where you can fall asleep. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I mean, it's reasonable, but also I just... I love this story. You know what this movie is? This movie in the middle of it had a better version of that shitty library movie you made me watch. See, no, that's what I was going to fucking say is that you're like, you're like, oh, I'm going to be down on this one because none of the characters are likable. None of the characters are likable in this one either. What are you talking about? They are likable. I. We just spent the first 15 minutes talking about how none of these characters were likable. Okay, no, they're not likable in real life. Or in in this movie. They're fucking trash. In, in the movie, movie, they're trash too. No, they're less trash. They're exciting trash. They are gonna change the world trash. Can I ask you something? Mm-hmm. Does exciting trash have 15, 20 minutes where you can fall asleep? The characters <laughs> are exciting trash. The people are exciting trash. The people in that movie you made me watch were boring. No, see, I found, I found them more interesting than these characters. These characters are also at least intelligent trash. Yeah, so they should have known better. No, known better than what? They fucking changed the world. They're intelligent trash. Your people were just dumb trash. I can forgive a lot if you're clever about it. <laughs> like, really a lot. Honestly, in so many people in my life, I just get mad that they're so stupid. They'll lie to me. And I'm not mad they lied to me. I'm mad that they got caught so obviously. Wow. So I liked these. I didn't mind that these people were trash because they were smart and interesting. I don't understand why people lie to you. I've told you nothing but the truth. And because of that, you really like me. So there we go. Well, people feel the need to lie to me. When I'm not talking to you, I'm very judgy. Oh, no. I've heard you be judgy talking to me as well. Especially on this show. I'm a dick. (laughs) We'll agree to disagree on this. I'm going to see this film as your revenge for you not liking American Animals. This movie was not as bad as American Animals. American Animals is way better than this movie. This movie was not as bad. American Animals was Savage Messiah level. No way. No. Yeah. No, I disagree. This movie was your Waco movie. The Kevin Smith movie. Red State. That wasn't my pick. That was your pick. I know, but it's still your movie. Because you're the Kevin Smith guy. (laughs) Yeah, I like that movie better than this too. (laughs) Okay, yeah, but I'm saying that they're equal. Because I didn't really like that movie. And you didn't really, because I had like some issues with it, but it was like, all right. 
And then you didn't really like this movie because you had some issues with it, but it was like, yeah, all right. I want every copy of that stupid library movie destroyed. I think American Animals is great. It was my second favorite film of 2018. I know. it's You have questionable taste. I do not have questionable taste. Absolutely do. My number one favorite film of 2018 was a film you enjoyed, Hearts Be Loud. That was a really good film. Yeah. A Broken Clock is right twice a day. Wow. Okay. But that was a good film. That movie was a dope film. I loved it. There you go. And it was about music, which is really weird for me. Oh, you don't like films about music? I don't like music. Yeah, that's doesn't make sense with your coupling up. But anyway, <laughs> like, it's like, I don't really like music. I'm going to get engaged to a man who loves music more than anything. So. Right? I'm, I, I, I find writers pretentious and yeah. like so music. You, so let's- A music-making music writer. That's what you got, got together with. I make choices. Yes, you do. Well, opposites attract. I guess that's why we have a show. That's true. Because you you have questionable taste. I can flip that back around to you as well. But anyways, yes. So if you want, I guess, check out Kill Your Darlings. Do it. Check it out. Uh, Maybe. I think it's a good movie. Just go get popcorn after Kerouac is introduced. Lucian Carr (laughs) comes into the room. Ginsburg's all upset. Like a stereotypical wife. And then Lucian Carr goes, I found a real writer. His name is Jack Kerouac. And that is your cue to go get popcorn and a snack and come back and you'll be okay. Or you can just not watch the movie. But anyways, that's, that's it for Kill Your Darlings. On the next episode, we're going to be talking about a film from 2003. Oh, okay. 44 Minutes, The North Hollywood Shootout. Oh, that actually sounds like a good one. It's your pick. I'm going to ignore you said that. But anyways, that's uh, that's going to be on the next episode. So look forward to that. I believe Michael Madsen's in that film. I'm a big that. fan of Mike. Uh, he's Mr. Blonde from Reservoir Dogs. I mean, I've watched that movie, but a very long time ago. The guy dancing around to Stuck in the Middle with You, going to cut a guy's ear off. He's got to give me more recent films. He's kind of known as the guy from Reservoir Dogs or the father guy? figure from the Free Willy movies. He's also known as that. <laughs> Oh, you know who he is now. There you go. I love Free Willy. I keep forgetting. Yeah, you were the perfect age group for that. Yeah. Wasn't there like a Michael Jackson song or something? Like Michael, Michael Jackson had a song in each of the Free Willy films. Yeah, when the Free yeah. Willy jumps over. I don't, I don't think those are the actual lines. Free Willy. So yeah, so that's going to be next week, 44 Minutes, the North Hollywood Shootout. But for now, we have come to the end and we bid you adieu. We hope you enjoyed our witty banter about a film that was just okay. It was wonderful. You're the worst. Until next time, I'm Andrew Young. I'm Sparkles. Bye, friends. Bye.